Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Praise God. Good to see everybody here tonight. If you're with us on live stream, we are happy to have you. I know it's been billed that I'm going to preach a Valentine's sermon, so I might as well mention Valentine's. St. Valentine. Got his head chopped off, so you should buy somebody some flowers today. <laughs> A.O. knows how I really feel about Valentine's. I kind of went on a little rant when I was there on Friday. But I think Valentine's kind of gives us, a, especially dudes in A.O., a good, an ex, a good excuse, right? Buy somebody flowers, chocolate. Okay, I'll leave that there. I want to preach a sermon called East of Eden because in this time of year, I do believe that it's wise that we do highlight marriage and we highlight what God wants to do through our marriages. Uh, Let's all turn to Genesis chapter 3, verse 22. Genesis chapter 3, verse 22. The word occidental means west. And the word orient literally means east. It's Middle English, comes from Middle French, The Latin root is facing east or facing towards the sunrise. And we're going to read a scripture here, a sermon I'm calling East of Eden. The Lord said, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, and now he might reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat of it and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. He drove them out. To the east of the garden he placed them, the cherubim and a flaming sword which turned in every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. Father, I ask you to speak to us tonight, God. God, I pray that you'd reveal truths, God, but also I ask you, more than revealing truth, I ask you just to send your Holy Spirit. Let your Holy Spirit minister to our hearts tonight. God, that you would help us in every way in the name of Jesus. Amen. So the word orient means to face eastward, literally. And they were kicked out of the garden. The Bible says that they were placed east of Eden, but also you can interpret that as the literal meaning as they were placed in front of Eden, because back in the day, we we call it true north. It was actually back in, in the ancient times, it was true east. So in front of would have been east. So you could say that they were oriented eastward towards the risen sun. Or you can say they were totally disoriented. Totally disoriented. Like, what the heck just happened right now? Right? They just got kicked out of the only home that they ever knew. It was perfect. It was theirs. All the work that they had invested in that garden. Who knows how much time they spent living there and and loving their perfect home now in one afternoon. 
It was all gone. Everything they knew changed. Anybody need to know the backstory? I guess Eve is walking around and she starts talking to a snake. The snake talks her into eating a piece of fruit. She gives the piece of fruit to Adam. Adam eats the piece of fruit and they're kicked out of the garden forever and ever and ever. And this home is the only sense of place that they ever knew. Everything changes. Nature itself has changed. The Bible says that death entered creation. I don't think we can even imagine what the garden was like. I mean, we got some you know, picture paintings from the Renaissance or whatever. But we can't even imagine what the biological realities of this, of this planet were before death entered the world. Even eternity changed. We always say, hell was never meant for us, right? It was meant for the devil and his angels. So hell had to literally remodel after the fall. All of that changed. Their identities changed. In short, nothing would be the same as they stood there east of Eden. The American author John Steinbeck published his magnum opus, East of Eden, in 1952. It's a crazy little story about crazy people written by a crazy person. But it captures the human experience. The earth's potential loses once again to human nature. Now, we can equate marriage to paradise. And that would be a a correct equation. Marriage to paradise is a correct equation, and if you want to argue with me in your head, please read Genesis chapter 2 first. Let me ask you this. Do you remember the honeymoon period of your marriage? The Eden state? Right? It was great. It was a long time ago. And now, you may be saying, what if I find myself... What if you find yourself, your marriage, east of Eden? Where we know what things could have been or should be, but they're not. Every marriage in this place is east of Eden. Geographically, literally. I'm going to say literally a lot tonight. Literally east of Eden. Every marriage in this place, every marriage watching on the live stream, every marriage that's going to watch this three months from now because they're super bored, is east of Eden. Let's talk about the great divorce. I was thinking there are very few winning marriages in the Bible. Ever notice that? There aren't, you know, that there, there aren't, there isn't that one it marriage that everybody can point to. What about Abraham and Sarah? It's a good marriage. They had the horrible Hagar incident, or the time he passed her off as not his wife to Pharaoh in Egypt. Remember that? That was kind of like an awkward drive home, huh? I can't believe you told him I wasn't your wife. I had to live in his harem. Dude, we got a bunch of camels out of it. Settle down. He probably just was smart and just didn't say anything. Or what about his son Isaac, Yikchak, man? Yikchak and Revka. Isaac and Rebecca. That's a beautiful love story. You can literally, there it is again, you can literally see the red sunset as Revka puts the veil across her face and dismounts her camel 
And Isaac goes and takes her by the hand and leads her down the path towards their new home. And there's the triumphant servant slash match, matchmaker Eliezer standing off in the distance. His robes are flowing. And the music swells. And the credits roll. But the only problem is Isaac did the same thing. Isaac did the whole she's not my wife routine when they visited the Philistines on vacation one summer. And the Philistine king had to go to Isaac and was like, God like sent me a dream, dude. Trying to get me killed? What was that drive home like in the minivan, huh? You told them I was your sister. Where'd you grow up? Kentucky? What's going on? Or what about their son, uh, forget Esau, what about their son Jacob and his wife, Leah, or Rachel, or Zilpah, or, you know, the other one, he had four. Thank you. I have it written down here. Or what about David or Solomon? Okay, what about maybe Ruth and Boaz? That's a great story. I'm like, I'm not being sarcastic. That is a great story. It's a cool story. That's actually David's great-grandparents. But you can't find a marriage in the Bible that checks all the boxes. Maybe you can tell me afterward, and you know, I'll revise my sermon and preach it somewhere else. But my point is, is there isn't that marriage podcast couple in the Bible with their fake, humble, pretentious marriage podcast. You guys don't know what I'm talking about. Hey, babe, what's our current marital emotional connectivity quotient? It's 7.85, hun. Yeah, before we started writing our pretentious quarantine marriage book, we were only at 5.8. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like and Subscribe. Some of you listen to marriage podcasts, man, you ain't even married. Messing yourself up, that's all I'm saying. So the marriages in the Bible show us that we don't need to have it all together to keep it together. We don't need to have it all together to keep it together. That is the premise, that is the theme. Abraham, the father of the faith, almost wasn't a father at all. Sarah, his wife, by extension, the mother of the faith, literally laughed at God's promise, and maybe she didn't have any faith at all. My point is this. God still used their marriage. God still blessed their marriage. And what I'm saying is that they were real people with real marriages. All of them struggled with maintaining a marriage east of Eden. Let's talk about the view from here because let's go back to Adam and Eve sitting on the front porch of paradise knowing they could never go back in. You're sitting there knowing you're never going back. The Bible says that there was an angel with the flaming sword which turned in every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. I almost cracked myself up to right now in worship. So I was thinking about Valentine's and how Cupid, what, what is Cupid? 
We equate him to a cherub, but he's not. But, right, we call him a cherub. The angel in this scripture that has the flaming sword is a cherubim. He's a cherub. Cherubs don't, aren't little cute little babies with bows and arrows with hearts on them. Cherubs are angels with flaming swords. So if you want to know that, that's what that is. So Adam looks back and he sees this cherub with a flaming sword. He knows that there is no going back. He knows his options have been cut off. There are those times in our marriages or in our lives where we know that options have changed. Eden was paradise, but the majority of Adam and Eve's lives, the majority of their marriage, Adam lived till 930 years old. The majority, you can surmise, was lived east of Eden. And they had to learn to love and to live outside of paradise. Just a quick aside to the young people. I just said they had to learn how to love and to live outside of paradise. They had to learn, learn to love and live outside of paradise. Because the lie from hell is that if it's not paradise, it's not right. So that's why everybody's relationships last like four days. If we want to go back to the OG relationship, we're going to have to learn some hard truths about what we thought marriage really was. Let's talk about paradise lost, the abnormal. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great 20th century German theologian, said, It's not your love that sustains the marriage. But from now on, it's the marriage that sustains your love. It's not your love that sustains the marriage, but now on, it's the marriage that sustains, or love that sustains your marriage, but marriage sustains your love. I don't know what was said between Adam and Eve as they look back at that angel. As they look, as they look back at the garden, and they're wearing like itchy animal skin clothes, and they're just walking away. What do you say something like that? But I imagine as they took their first step towards their new normal, the abnormal, I want to believe that they reached out for each other's hand. I want to believe that somehow, some way, that they drew closer together because literally all they had was each other. There's no other people, right? There's no in-laws. There's no best friends since school days. There's no books, no podcasts, no sermons on the app, no watching church in England, none of that. All Adam had was her. All she had was him. And there was going to be a lot of firsts. For the first time, Adam would have to learn how to console his wife. You don't have to console anybody when you live in the Garden of Eden. Why? Because perfection. But that night, Adam is having to learn how to console the inconsolable. 1 Peter 3, 7, dwell with her according to knowledge. Adam had to learn fast because there were so many new emotions coming at him and at her, grief, 
fear, rage. Heard a story of an elderly Japanese couple. 2011, a tsunami hit Japan, you might remember. It was kicked off by an earthquake. The tsunami hits Japan. And they have a lot of nuclear power plants in the area. And this older Japanese couple, they raised their three children. They lived on a house on a hill, beautiful Japanese kind of setting. But this power plant was only miles away from their house. So the authorities said you have to evacuate. They evacuated. And they waited the allotted time. And then they were told, you can go home for 24 hours. But then you must leave. And because of the nuclear contamination, you are going to never be able to go home again. And this man... As they went home, he tried to console his wife. His wife ended up taking her own life. But I wonder what that first 24 hours was like for Adam and Eve. I wonder what they said. Studying for this sermon, I I felt like, you know what, I need to make a, a public mea culpa as I'd always kind of make fun of Adam and Eve just because I'm, I'm stupid. And I'm studying for this sermon and I'm like, how come no one was there to give them a hug and say it was going to be okay? They had to learn how to protect one another. Adam started to realize something weird. The lions and the bears and, and snakes and And all these things that used to be his little homies back in the day before he got married, now they're all out to kill everybody. They're killing each other. And he's realizing that if I don't protect her, nobody will. I wonder if they started getting sick. I wonder if they started realizing that the environment had changed. Adam and Eve began to realize that they were going to have to work for one another. The Bible says that God told Adam, by the sweat of your brow, you're going to reap the harvest and and eat your bread. He told Eve, in pain, you're going to bring forth children. And they began to realize for the first time in human history that we're going to have to protect each other, we're going to have to work for each other, and we're going to have to be there for each other because if we don't, no one else will. The relationship with God was forever altered, pun intended. See, God would come down in Eden about 4.30 and say, Hey, Adam, what'd you do today? And Adam would come and say, Well, sir, and give him the checklist and give him the rundown. And if Adam ever had a question about how to do this thing called life, he could just wait till about 4.30. God would show up and they would have their conversation They would laugh it up a little bit, and then God would go home. Well, God can't and won't abide sin, so those walks in the cool of the day were over. Before, there was no such thing as physical world, spiritual world. It was all seamless. Now, Adam and Eve were literally walking alone. They're out there east of Eden... They're trying to work out their own marriage. 
They're trying to do this thing called life in this abnormal place. And everything had changed. Let's look at a problem of semantics because we must be able to read the Bible like these are three-dimensional people and not two-dimensional fictional characters. We have more invested in our favorite fictional characters and their backstories and their deepest fears and their favorite colors than we do in the people in God's Word that actually lived and breathed, laughed and cried, lived and died, and are real. See, our relationship to the Word of God itself determines what we get out of it. So is the Bible to you, is it fiction? Maybe some great literature with some high moral points there, huh? You can, you can uh, get a lot of cool, cool titles for your cool mid-century American novels out of it. East of Eden and The Sun Also Rises and a bunch of Grapes of Wrath. Like we, is, is this some good fiction? Or is it nonfiction? It's not completely and totally dependable, but there's some truth in the stew. You know, it was passed down, filtered through other people. But, you know, there's some truth in there, so it's non-fiction. Or is it the truth? Isn't that what got Adam and Eve in trouble in the first place? Scott Oliphant said, the serpent was more subtle and more crafty. And when we see the craftiness and subtlety when he comes, not just with the contradiction of what God has said, he'll do that, but initially comes with the question, What's the purpose of the question? The purpose of the question is to make Eve question the authority of God. What got Adam and Eve removed from the garden was their initial questioning, initial questioning of the authority of God's words. See, when God's word or God's words are discarded in our hearts or our minds, then we never receive the life-changing power that God's truth intends. I hate it when they preach and they just read the Bible a lot, man. I just read the Bible on my own. It's like when they do those weird voices and stuff. We can read the Bible and it's just another tragic story that doesn't really help us navigate our story. Might as well listen to a marriage podcast. What about Adam just sitting there stoking the fire as Eve and their sweaty little sons are asleep? Something about boys sleeping, they just sweat like crazy. Cain and Abel, Eve, they've managed to put, you know, Adam's brilliant. He must have figured out how to not just build a a hunter-gatherer dwelling place. I mean, he, he, he figured it out. But he's stoking the fire. And all he can think about is how he can scratch out enough food from this ground to feed his growing family. How he can protect them from the elements, from the wild animals, and from everything else. And all that is drowning out his memories of his paradise garden home.
Hey there, Sermon Podcast listeners. This is Pastor Adam back with you again. Wanted to just take a second here to thank you once again for listening to this sermon podcast. We've had an explosive rate of growth and listenership for the past few weeks, and we hope that you appreciate these daily sermons to encourage you and help you. I just want to share a couple of ratings that we've gotten in the Apple Podcast application. Clint B. writes a five-star review. He said, I am so grateful for our fellowship. Thank you. This podcast, very helpful through the day. Uh, Bobby Sanford from North Carolina said, inspiring. Awesome to hear sermons that are encouraging and inspiring to the church. Uh, We could really use your help to add a couple more of these very helpful reviews. Uh, These do help us to get the word out about this podcast. I want you to know that we have a truly worldwide impact with this podcast from the United States to the UK, Australia, Ireland, Germany, New Zealand, South Africa, Netherlands, Canada, Romania, Afghanistan, Namibia, Vietnam, Switzerland, Kenya, India, Russia, Hong Kong, Ghana, Uganda, Guam, Meritus, Brazil, Puerto Rico, Mexico, Zambia, Japan, Jamaica, Malaysia, Israel, Ukraine. The list goes on and on of nations that are listening to these sermons. So we just want to say thank you for listening. Make sure that you're subscribed. Make sure that you're sharing these when you hear a good one. And please, if you haven't done so already, make sure you leave a five-star rating and a review of what you like about this podcast. Thank you again for listening, and back to the rest of the sermon. His whole reality, everything that he was doing, everything that he was living, was being filtered through his marriage. Their children's reality and their survival depended on Adam and Eve's marriage. Let's broaden it out. This whole thing that we call our reality, right? 2021, United States of America, Tucson, Arizona. This thing that we call our reality all hinged on Adam and Eve's marriage. Why? Because if their marriage failed, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now, would we? If their marriage had failed, we as a race would have failed, and then we would have had to evolve from one of Darwin's monkeys. Adam lived for 930 years. I don't know how many of those years he was married, but the majority of the time, Adam was learning to be a human and teaching his children to be human, and as he was doing that, he was the husband of Eve. Our marriages are comprised of a web of two different people's experiences and perspectives. This creates a mesh in which our lives are filtered through. What about years later, Adam still stoking the same fire? Years have passed, his boys have grown up. Cain has become a farmer and Havel has become a shepherd. Cain has murdered his little brother, Abel. And here's Adam and Eve trying to process this tragedy and still be husband and father, mother and wife. In other words, even after that, their marriage had to hold together. Why? Because their marriage was literally holding everyone else together. 
Human existence could have and should have shattered at many points, and this was one of them. Not only was humanity in the balance, but something else as well was in the balance, and that was marriage itself. Do you know that there's one thing that survived the fall of the garden? Just one thing. Satan hates this one thing. We talked about it in Aeon on Friday. The only thing to come out, and that is the institution of marriage itself. See, they had a son, and they named him Cain. His name means, I have acquired a man from God. And what they believed that was that Cain was the seed. The seed will crush the serpent's head, right? The seed will undo the curse. They believed that Cain was the seed. In other words, that Cain was the Messiah. I have acquired a man. And then... This would-be Messiah figure, his sacrifice is rejected by God. And then he murders his little brother. And then he is banished by God. Not only did they lose one son to murder, they lost another to banishment. And this, this had to be excruciating. Any parent who has lost a child for any reason. And then to hear that your son Cain was banished by God, just like they were. They must have been thinking, is this going to keep happening? Every successive generation is going to be, keep getting judged by God. What did we do? Now they realize their hopes for redemption were incorrect. See, they had to process all these things. And I, and I hope that I'm drawing out the point that we can read through the first four chapters of the Bible and just do it really fast, and that's great. But not only were hundreds of years of time passing in, in, in those pages, but also a lot of human drama was passing in those pages. And they had to process everything that was happening to them east of Eden. But most importantly, they had to process these things together. Literally, the unimaginable, losing children, losing hope. But I believe that what kept Adam and Eve was that they were one. Genesis 2.24, that's why a man will leave his father and his mother. He marries a woman and the two of them will become like one person. You know why the writer of Genesis gave this commentary? Because that's exactly what Adam and Eve lived out. The reason they were able to hold it together, and I'm saying hold it together on purpose, was because they made a decision a long time ago in a garden before God, and they said, you're bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, and then... The writer of Genesis says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, marry a woman, and the two of them will become one person. We know the story. One day, God looks down at Adam in the garden. Adam's trashing the place or doing whatever he's doing, and God's like, man, this isn't good. That man's alone. Knocks the dude out, takes his rib, fashions Eve, presents her to him, and they get married. They were one. They became two. But in that same instance, the two became one once again. We can talk about marriage all we want, and we should. We can 
think about marriage as we should. But my question to you tonight is not what is the ideal marriage. It's not how can I make my marriage an ideal marriage. My question is whose ideals are you looking at? My question is who are you asking? My question is who are you comparing your marriage to? Because when we look at the Word of God, we see a bunch of fallible people with a bunch of marriages that are not perfect at all. But we also see the grace of God at work in every one. And when we read the Word, we always talk about the law first mentioned. So we're talking about the first marriage. We're talking about Adam and Hava. And how they got through this thing east of Eden. Finally, let's talk about the sun also rises. Because imagine thousands of people converging on a burial ground. Maybe it was our grandfather Adam or our grandmother Hava, the mother of all living Eve. These two people who were never born would eventually die. These two people from another world, literally, Finally, they returned to the dust like the curse said. But besides teaching us to be human individually, they taught us how to be humans to becoming one. You see, marriage is not, and I don't care what your, you know, your kid goes to Pima College for a couple of years and he wants to tell you, marriage is a social construct. It's a Judeo-Christian idea made up in the Middle Ages. Dude, you need to learn how to read or get a library card or something. Marriage is on every continent, in every culture, in all time. Marriage is just as natural as a baby walking at nine months. Why? Because Adam and Eve said, we're going to stick this thing out. Adam and Eve said, no matter what comes to us, hell or high water, it doesn't matter what happens. Two became one back in the garden, and you're not going to separate us. So we're at a burial ground. And everybody there is crying and mourning because the two originals... The two prototypes, they're gone. They taught us how to live and they taught us how to love. And the reason why we do marriage the way we do marriage is because they did marriage like that. No marriage books, no marriage retreats, no pastors to call at two in the morning, although I thank God for all of that. Their marriage and marriage itself not only survived... This isn't just like white-knuckle marriage sermon. It not only survived, their marriage thrived. Amidst all of that, their marriage thrived. You know why? We're here, right? Welcome to the Adams family, right? We're all, Hava, she's our grandmother. 
They, the, the scholars trip out. They, they don't even know how, much, how many children she had herself. They were prolific. They were the first against all odds love story. How about that love story? They said it couldn't be done. The feel-good movie of the year, Adam and Eve. The deck stacked against them. All the angels like, man, we have to start over, God. There's two of them down there. They don't even know what they're doing. You know what got them through? Love. Love. Who did they love? Each other. And I get it. Not everybody here can... This isn't congruent with everybody's experience. I get it. And I'm not saying that there is... This one mold. I will tip my hat to Christians who have felt the sting of of violation. Who've come across some horrible things even in their own marriage. And they said, God, I'll trust you again. Because here's two people. Two star-crossed lovers, as Shakespeare would say. And it was love, actually. It was love. All he had was her, and all she had was him. I thank God for Adam and Eve. I thank God for their example. Let's talk about the last report. Because one day, Adam and Eve will stand before God. And give that last report at the end of all days. And you know what they can say? They can say, I did what you told me to do. Genesis 128a says, God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. Adam can say in a reversal of Genesis 3, 10, 13 where he blames everything on Eve, that woman you gave me, where he blamed her for everything, he can stand before God and say, you know what, that woman you gave me, I brought her with me. He went from blaming her for everything to protecting her for the rest of his life. Ephesians 5.25, a husband should love his wife as much as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. You know that woman you gave me? She's right here. I brought her through. I protected her with my life. Eve can say, Lord, remember the serpent that tricked me? But you said my seed would crush its head? Well, what you said was true. Verse 15 of our original text, or or, or in uh, Genesis, I will put animosity between you and the woman and between your descendant and her descendant, and he will bruise your head, and you will bruise his heel. The first person ever mentioned in messianic prophecy, the first person ever mentioned in eschatological last days prophecy is Eve. It's Eve. 
Your seed versus his seed. Your seed will overcome. So Jesus was born. Satan bruised his heel. He crushed Satan's head. We know this. But in the last part of the Bible, we read that the serpent, the serpent of old, is going to be cast into the lake of fire. So the first person mentioned in messianic prophecy and last day's prophecy is Eve. The seed wasn't Cain, but it was Jesus. We call Jesus the son of David. But I throw out there that you can also call him the son of Eve. It was the first prophecy. And he gave it to a woman who had no idea what he was talking about. She misconstrued it. She didn't understand it. But God said, I'm going to give this to you, Eve. And you're going to see this through. Bonhoeffer would be sitting in a Nazi prison in 1943. This amazing German theologian, his book, The Cost of Discipleship, is is actually considered a classic outside the Christian world as well. But he wrote a sermon for his niece. He would never see her wedding. He wrote a sermon and he gave it off and they read it at the wedding. And I want to read you something from this sermon. He says, God gives you Christ as a foundation for your marriage. Welcome one another, therefore, as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God, quoting Romans 15, 7. In a word, live together in the forgiveness of your sins. For without it, no human fellowship, and least of all, marriage, can survive. Don't insist on your rights. Don't blame each other. Don't judge or or condemn each other. Don't find fault with each other. But accept each other as you are. And forgive each other every day from the bottom of your hearts. As he wrote that from a Nazi prison cell, they read it at his niece's wedding And two years later, the Nazis would execute Pastor Bonhoeffer. But he wrote this, and he's sounding like a modern-day Apostle Paul, a man knowing that the end is near, and he's saying, because I know that the end is near, here are the things that are important. Accept each other as you are. Forgive each other every day from the bottom of your hearts. I can't help but believe that deep inside Adam and Eve, they knew that the key to their marriage surviving and by extension the rest of us surviving was that they just simply forgave each other. Hey man, I wouldn't be working out here in this field if it wasn't for you eating some apple. I wouldn't be here in this, having all these babies and You knew. You knew. I didn't know. You knew. And why was a snake in our garden anyway? But even in their new abnormal reality, I believe that they simply came to a point where they said, we're going to love each other, we're going to forgive each other. There's no happily ever after in this story. There's, they woke up the next morning and had to do it all over again. 
And to all of you young men and young women who should be thinking about marriage, as you should be thinking about marriage, I want to paint a picture, wanted to paint a picture, a real picture of marriage where God can pour out his grace in the lives of two people who simply said, I love you and I forgive you. Adam, Eve, they probably thought of Eden often, maybe when they got some downtime. But the only thing that Adam had left of Eden was Eve. And the only thing she had left from Eden was Adam. And together, together, they had their own piece of the Garden of Eden. They had their own piece of paradise. And I believe, as I've said before, that God never wanted to kick us out of the garden. But he has given us a way back. He has given us a way back. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife. Because our God is good, and our God sustains. Amen. Let's bow our head in a word of prayer this evening. You're here tonight. Saying, you know what, Pastor Gabe, I hear all this talk about marriage, it's cool. But you know in your heart of hearts, something's uneasy inside of you. You're saying, I got all these problems, but I have no way to process it. I have no outs. I'm turning to alcohol, I'm turning to drugs. I'm turning to perversion. But if the same God that sustained these two failed people, if he can forgive me and help me, I want that. And if that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Put it up and put it right back down. God's dealing with your heart. I have issues. I have problems. But if God can help me, if God can save me, if God can change me, and he will, you're saying, I want that. I want you to raise your hand. Put it up. God sees that hand. Anybody else? Maybe you want to walk with God. God sees that hand. Anybody else? You said, you know what, God? I put it all in your hands. How crazy is it if Adam and Eve would have turned their back on God after Eden? But we do that. You're a backslider. Raise your hand. Put it up and put it right back down. God's dealing with you right now because he knows your heart. There's no shame in repentance. My old man would tell me it's better to answer too many altar calls than not enough. Put it up and put it right back down. God sees a hand in the back. Anybody else? He's dealing with you because he loves you. He doesn't want to embarrass you. But he does want to help you. He does want to help you. He never wanted to throw us out of no garden. But he sent his son to die on a cross. So he could bring us home. One more time. If that's you, raise your hand. Pastor, I need God to help me. If that's you, raise your hand. All right, you on my left. You raise your hand. Did you mean that? Looking at me? I believe you did. In the back. 
Did you mean that, sir? I believe he did. Did you mean that? Why don't you guys just stand? Just come with, meet me up here in the front. Someone's going to come and pray with you. Brother, someone's going to come and pray with you. Sister on my left, someone's going to come and pray with you. Come on. God's going to help you. Praise God. Amen. Praise God, man. I'm speaking to Christians. All of our marriages are east of Eden. All of them. And I think sometimes we can kind of just assume maybe ours is the only one or vast majority got their stuff together. God is saying, my grace is sufficient for you. Brandon Reed was talking about it on the podcast of Pastor Warner, how this man is losing his mind. And it was his wife. It was his wife. He said, if it wasn't for her. But God is just looking for a people saying, God, I'm willing to love, I'm willing to forgive. But you're going to have to help us. And guess what? He will. Because this is the God that we serve. Let's stand to our feet. This altar is open. You come and pray. Let's ask God to help us. Let's ask God to move in our lives. Amen. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vvph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, Would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website at vvph.org and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.